Habakkuk is a short minor prophet in the Old Testament, only three chapters, 56 verses long. And Habakkuk is unique among the minor prophets. Most of the prophets, God speaks to the prophet and the prophet speaks to the people. Here's what the Lord says. Habakkuk, he looks out at the people of God and sees their rebellion. And he speaks to God and he says, God, what's going on? God, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything about this? Habakkuk's not a prophet that speaks to the people on behalf of God. No, he's a prophet who looks at the people and questions God. This does not make sense. He can't understand it. You see, a few years before Habakkuk would write, the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah, was in a fabulous place. They had an amazing king ruling named Josiah. Josiah is one of the few wonderful kings over the southern kingdom. But there was a problem when Josiah died. When Josiah died, the nation quickly ran to idolatry, quickly fled from the Lord, quickly fled from the ways of the Lord. And Habakkuk looks out and he asks God this question. We did this week one. Uh, There'll be an outline of what we've covered the last few weeks. Week one, he asked a question of God. And his question is this, summarized. How long, God? How long, God, are you going to let your people ignore you? Be rebellious? Not obey your principles? Why are you making me look at this? And God gives him an answer that is shocking. God says, Habakkuk, look out among the nations. There's this group of people called the Chaldeans. We call them the Babylonians often. And the Babylonians are destroying nation after nation after nation. And God said, I'm going to use them as my instrument to judge my people. Well, in week two, Habakkuk has another question for God. He's shocked. He says, God, how can you use a nation more wicked than us to judge us? And he asks these questions. Are you silent, God? Are you, are you being idle? Or are you not going to, are you going to let Babylon just go on forever and ever? And we saw God answer Habakkuk. And God answers Habakkuk in no uncertain terms. He says this, write down what I'm about to say. Write it in stone so you do not forget it. And here's what he tells Habakkuk. The godless, the unrighteous, they're puffed up, they're proud. But the righteous shall live by faith. And that's the key verse of the whole book. The righteous shall live by their faith. This is 600 years before the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. And we see this verse picked up three times in the New Testament. Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, all speak of the righteous shall live by faith. And we know, we get the joy and privilege of seeing the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of that. But notice he doesn't say this. Habakkuk, the righteous, will have faith. No, Habakkuk has faith at the beginning of this book. He believes God. He actually believes rightly about God. He says, God, you're holy. God, you're everlasting. God, God you're the rock. You're pure. So he believes correctly about God. But Habakkuk's problem is he's not living by his faith. 
Oh, he could check all the right beliefs. But he's not exercising his faith. It's not what moves his life. It's not what he trusts in. He's merely a person who has faith. And last week we saw God tell Habakkuk in what we called five woes. He says, woe to Babylon. Here's what's going to happen to a nation who is godless. And he says, Habakkuk, Babylon is eventually going to receive what is coming to them. And that leads us to our passage today. Today we're going to read Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 through 19. It is a very long passage, so we'll be reading a little bit longer than we normally do. But if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading Habakkuk chapter 3. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The scriptures will be on the screen behind me. If you uh, don't have your Bible with you, you're welcome to look there. It reads, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionath. O Lord, have I heard the report of you and your work? O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtain of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and wreathed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take my joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. To the choir master, 
with stringed instruments. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, we recognize that nothing of significance will be spoken here today unless you speak. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of the things I love about the book of Habakkuk is we see a God who is relational. A God who interacts, who cares, who speaks. A God who's active. Not a God who is distant, unconcerned. No, we see a God of love, of mercy. Yet a God of justice. A God who is in control. A God who is powerful. I love the relational aspects of this book. And today in chapter 3, we get the heartbeat of a relationship with God. And that's prayer. There's a couple things as a pastor you can speak on and make people feel a little guilty. Some shame. If you talk about evangelism, sharing your faith, we're always going to feel like, well, I don't quite measure up on that one. I don't quite do that enough. We're all called to share our faith. Something God leads us to do. And you can talk on prayer. How's your prayer life? Most when they're honest will look and say, I wish I prayed more. I wish my prayer life were more alive. I wish I felt deeper connection with the Lord Almighty. This prayer today is a, a model prayer that we get. And the heartbeat of prayer is relationship with God. Sometimes we can turn prayer into one thing we check off a, a list. I started my day in prayer. I prayed over a meal. I prayed over this. And that's great and that's valuable. But if we're not careful, it can become just a part of what we do. And we don't feel the connection. The deep abiding relationship that the Lord desires to have with us. The Lord wants us to be with him. Those of you who are married, you know when your spouse is talking to you or you talking to their spouse, your spouse, but there's not really any relational communication happening. It's just words that aren't seeming to be received or to be engaged. That's often how we can feel in prayer. But here we see that prayer is about connecting with God, relating to God. You see, when you look and go, hey, I, I don't know how things are going to work out. We turn to the one who does know. And we look and we go, hey, I want to be in control. And we turn to the one who ultimately is in control. And that's what Habakkuk does here. He gives us a model prayer. It's a very simple prayer. It's a very beautiful prayer. And it's actually a prayer that is a corporate prayer. It's a song. It's a prayer that they sing together. We know that because it uses the word Selah three times here. That's often mentioned in the Psalms. We don't know exactly what the word Selah means, but it's some sort of rhythmic, poetic pause in the midst of a psalm or prayer. 
He also uses the word in verse 1, shigioneth. We're not sure what that means, but that signifies most believe some sort of poetry written in deep distress. And the most clear indication that this is a song is the very last words. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is a prayer that is a corporate prayer that is sung. That's how they did it. And Habakkuk has three things I want to point out in this prayer. He makes a request, he recalls, and he rejoices. And this is a great model for us as we pray. He requests, he recalls, and he rejoices. First, in verse 2, he says he's heard the report of the Lord, of his work, and he fears the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase, to fear the Lord. But typically, we fear everything but the Lord. You turn on the news. You get on social media. You look at what's happening in our world, in the nation, and there's tens of thousands of things to fill you with fear. We lack. We don't lack in things that will bring fear to us. No, but what we need to look and say, those things shouldn't bring fear. What should bring fear is the Lord. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's good and He's gracious. Now, for those who place their trust in Christ, it's not a fear of the Lord is going to bring wrath and condemnation upon me. No, it's a, I love the Lord, and I want to live for Him. It's a type of fear that a child has for their favorite school teacher that they don't want to disappoint. Not fear of that teacher punishing them, the fear of the teacher being disappointed with them, the fear of the teacher not delighting in them. Now we're, we're to have a, a fear of the Lord, and that's what he says, I fear the Lord, and he says, in the midst of the years, revive it, in the midst of the years, make it known. He's saying, God, I don't know when you're going to do this. God has said, Babylon's going to get theirs. I mentioned this last week, but it'll be a full 70 years before Babylon, the nation will be destroyed. For most of us, that's the vast majority of our life, if not all of our life. Habakkuk will not live to see Babylon receive judgment. But he says, in the midst of the years, I'm going to trust. In the midst of the years, I'm going to have faith. And look at what he says here. Here's his one request at the end of verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy. That's his request to God. God, in your wrath, please remember mercy. When we speak of the wrath of God, especially as a pastor, you can often receive the wrath of man. Because a lot of times we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. And I'll be honest, it's not something I enjoy talking about. The wrath of God is not something I want to talk about. But it's a mega theme within Scripture. The wrath of God is mentioned more than 600 times in the Bible. So to be a faithful minister of the Word of God, uh, you can't escape this. You, you can't pull away from the fact that our God, who is holy, who is good, who is gracious, is also a God who will bring judgment upon sin and upon those who don't live in faith in Christ Jesus or here in faith in the coming Messiah in Old Testament-style faith. No, we often don't like the wrath of God 
but it's a reality of who our God is. You see, part of prayer is this. You're letting God be God. He's going to be God regardless if you let him, but you're reminding him of yourself, he's God, I'm not. Even if I don't like something about God's character and about who he is because I don't understand it, and usually that's the case. If there's an aspect of God that you don't like or you're uncomfortable with, the problem is usually you and your lack of ability to understand the fullness of who God is. But here's the thing. God made me. I didn't make him. And what many people like to do when they don't like something about God is go, I'm going to change it. I'm going to find a way to twist Scripture and make God who I want him to be. I don't like the fact that God is a God who will bring judgment, a God who will bring wrath, a God who says that, hey, there's a narrow way that leads to life and a wide path that leads to destruction. Those things don't feel good. The truth that our sin deserves death and eternal separation from God, the reality that there's an eternal separation from God in a place that Jesus talks about more than anybody in our Bible called hell, Those things should not make us comfortable. We should not delight in those things. We mourn and we grieve those things. But yet, they are reality that God teaches us in His Word. They are true. And here's what Habakkuk is saying. In your wrath, God, remember mercy. And that can be another danger we do when we talk about wrath. Some will avoid ever talking about it because it makes people uncomfortable. And some will talk about it, but in an incomplete way. Our God, he has wrath. He's, he's, a judge, he's a God who will judge sin because he's holy. Do you know that's the number one characteristic in, God, uh, in Scripture of God? God is spoken of as holy more than anything else. Our God is holy. Our God is good. Our God is loving. Our God is grace-filled. Our God is merciful. When we speak of the, of the character of God... We can't just focus on one aspect of him. No, he's God. He's more than we can conceive, yet we can see him in Scripture and see that God is wrathful, yet he is merciful. And that's his request. In your wrath, remember mercy. And sometimes when we don't like the wrath of God, we have to look at ourselves honestly and go, you know, if somebody hurt my child, abused my child, I would certainly be thinking that person should receive wrath and judgment. If someone, husbands, if someone attacked and hurt your wife, you'd want them to receive wrath and judgment. And God is glorious and he's far above and he's magnificent and we've defamed him by our sin. And he says that deserves the wrath which is eternal separation from me. But Habakkuk's request, his only request in this whole thing In your wrath, remember mercy. And let me tell you, God is always faithful to remember mercy. When we see how deep our sin is, and sometimes that's why we don't think wrath's a big deal, because we don't think our sin is that bad. So wrath isn't needed. But when we see how grievous our sin is, we see the wrath that we deserve, and we see how glorious God's mercy is. His mercy is far greater than you could ever imagine or conceive. And this is the only request that he makes. God, in your wrath, remember mercy. Now in verse 3 through 15, he's going to move to recalling God's faithfulness. 
He spends 13 verses of this prayer recalling the faithfulness of God. He's going to start off speaking of God in third person. That means he uses words like he, him. And then he's going to move to speaking of God in second person, a little bit closer. And he uses words like you. And then finally, Habakkuk's going to say I. We're going to see him move in this. And he starts off in verse 3, and he says, God came to Timon and to Mount Paran. Now those places... Most of us, it doesn't mean something to, but for a Jewish reader, they know what that means. That is when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were in slavery, to freedom. Those were two of the first places that they would have passed. And this, uh, this recalling, he's recalling God's faithfulness to judge the godless in the past. That's what he's going back to, saying, God, you've been faithful in the past. You're going to be faithful in the future. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know you're going to do it. Will it be in my lifetime? Maybe not, but I can trust the goodness of God. I can trust his faithfulness. I can trust that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And in verse, uh, halfway through verse 3 and 4, he's recounting Mount Sinai, splendor of heavens, Earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like a light. Rays of flash in his hand. His power was veiled. This is a picture of Moses on Mount Sinai. And then he goes back in verse 5 and he speaks of pestilence and plague from when they left Egypt. God did all the work. God in his glory. When you look at the Exodus, nobody's glorifying man. Nobody's saying, hey, Moses. Moses was so capable he was able to part the Red Sea. Moses was able to defeat the armies of Egypt. Nobody thinks that. Everybody goes, God did it. God receives all the glory. And that's how God still works. God doesn't want us robbing his glory. When we look out at the challenges in our world, God wants us to look and say, God, you're the one who works in these. You're the one who brings resolution. And he recalls these things over and over again. It's as if he's journaling. And for a lot of us, that's important. We're quick to forget God's faithfulness to us in our lives. When, God, when you see God work and be faithful in your life, write it down. Because you're going to have a day where you're going to go, God, are you faithful? God, God, are you still there? God, God, do you still hear me? And we look back and go, God, you are faithful to me here. You've been faithful to me in days past, God. You've been faithful. I recall that. God, praise you. You're going to be faithful now and in the future. Even if I don't know how it's going to work, I can trust you. He praises God for his faithfulness. He also describes God in terms that the Jewish reader would easily resonate. Sometimes Old Testament language can be difficult for us. Especially those of us who, when we describe God, would say God is holy God is good, God is gracious, God's all-knowing, He's all-powerful, all true of God. But when you read and look at a Hebrew mind, they typically don't describe God in those ways. Sometimes they will, but they'll often describe God this way. God, you're a rock. God, you're, you're a fortress. God, you're, you're a consuming fire. God, you're a shield. God, you're like eagle's wings. And I could tell my boys, hey, Draw me a rock. Uh, draw, draw me a picture of an eagle. Uh, draw me a picture of a consuming fire. They could draw all of those. But if I say, draw me a picture of holy, draw me a picture of 
good, of all powerful, that's a harder thing to draw. Now, now for the Jewish reader, he's pulling them in in language that they resonate with, that they understand, but it's easy for us to miss at times. God is, Habakkuk are connecting here, and Habakkuk speaking of God's faithfulness in the past. God's been faithful. He talks about Cushion in verse 7. That was the first place that Joshua defeated. Midian, that was another place that Joshua defeated. And he speaks of um, God on, on down. Starting in verse 12, he speaks of six declarations. He says, you marched, you threshed, you went out, you crushed, you pierced, you trampled, you did it all, God. He doesn't say, you never hear Moses' name mentioned here. It's all, you did it, God. And anything the Lord does in and through our lives, there's not going to be a recounting of Steve did it or somebody else did it. It's going to be God, you. You're the one who did it. Sure, you use people, but God is the one who ultimately receives glory. He's the one who ultimately works and does these things. In the midst of this declaration, in verse 13, he speaks of God went out for the salvation of his people, the salvation of his anointed. These six declarations are upon the nations that oppressed God's people and that God brought his judgment upon. But in the midst of that, God went out for the salvation of his people, of his anointed. In the Exodus, his anointed was Moses. During the time of David, it was David. But the fulfillment, the ultimate anointed of God Almighty is Jesus Christ. He's the one who went out for our salvation. That's why he came to earth. To redeem sinful humanity who had rebelled against him. And the only way that our sin could be dealt with was for the wrath of God to come upon our sin. Do you realize that Jesus, when he hung on a cross, he took the sin of the world upon him, but he not only took the sin of the world upon him, he took the consequences of the sin of the world upon him, and the consequence of the sin of the, of the world is the wrath of God. Jesus absorbed and took the wrath of humanity, of God, upon him there on the cross. For three hours there was darkness. It's something my mind can't comprehend. All that happened there on the cross. But for those who've trusted in Christ, and I pray that's you, our sin has been dealt with. Any wrath that would be coming your direction has been paid in full. We don't need to fear the wrath of God in that way. For those who don't know Jesus, we look and we mourn and we grieve. We long for you to trust Christ, who has paid for your sin, who has dealt with it, to place your hope in Him. And in verse 16, listen to what Habakkuk says. He starts to speak in I language. And look at what he says. My body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble. Doesn't sound like he's doing too well. In his flesh, he's afraid. In his flesh, things look really bad. We look out at what's happening in our world, and we have plenty to tremble about. We have plenty to be afraid about. He says, yet, yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He says, trouble's coming. You've said it's coming, God. I will wait and trust you. Habakkuk, when the book opens, 
He has faith, but he's concerned about what God's going to do. And God says, Habakkuk, it's worse than you thought. Habakkuk's circumstances have changed none. They've actually gotten worse throughout the book. But he's moved from having faith to living by it. He prays. His prayer is an exercise of living by faith. Look at what he says in verse 17. He's going to show a concern. Here's his concern. Fig trees not blossom. No fruit. No produce. No food. No flock. No herd. We're going to be hungry. We're not going to have our... He's concerned about this. But in the midst of concern, look at his choice in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He chooses to celebrate. Habakkuk is concerned. His choice is to celebrate. His choice is to rejoice in the Lord. That's That's the only thing we can do. We... Our joy is in the Lord. It's not in our circumstances. We have joy in the Lord in spite of our circumstances. That's what living by faith means. It doesn't mean that we ignore the circumstances. No, we bring them to God. God, I'm going to bring them to you. Uh, I remember you've been faithful, God. Be merciful, God. Act, God. But I'm going to rejoice in the midst of difficult times because I know that you are faithful. I know that I can trust you. You've been faithful in the past, you're going to be faithful in the future, and I'm going to live trusting that you're going to continue to be faithful. You see, living by faith means we don't know what's ahead. That's the definition of faith. You can't fully see what's ahead, but you're going to continue to trust. He says, I'll make my joy in the God of my salvation. And then he makes finally a confident confession here in verse 19. Here's his confession. O God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Our strength is the Lord. We're not a particular impressive, strong, smart, capable people. Whatever gifts we have come from the Lord. No, our strength, the strength of the follower of Jesus Christ is in Christ Jesus living and working through us. He's the strength. He's our joy. And church, that's what I want for us in these days. In these days where we're not sure how everything is going to turn out, how everything is going to work. My desire is that we have our strength in the Lord. Habakkuk doesn't end with easy answers. We don't get any simplistic, easy answers. God tells him, live by faith. That's how the righteous live. God doesn't say things are going to be easy. God doesn't allow us to become so comfortable in this world that we go, I'm home. No, we look at this world and we go, I long for home. I long for Christ's return. I long for things to be made new. That we long and wait for that day, and while we wait, we wait in confidence in Him. Church, I pray that we would be a people who don't merely have faith, but live by it. And my hope and prayer is if you're here today, maybe you look at your life and you go, you know, I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know if I have faith. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that you would trust in Jesus. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, I pray that today will be a day of living by deeper faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is good. It is gracious. It is true. And I thank you for how you spoke through this prophet Habakkuk 2,600 years ago. Lord, he still speaks into our world today.
into our situation today. Because, Lord, we look out and we hear people giving solutions and answers. We don't know which media and what news to trust. We have different opinions, different ideas. And when we look at it long enough, Lord, we confess we get filled with fear. Lord, you're the only one we're to fear. And Lord, you wipe our fear away through your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we mourn that there is a wrath that you bring upon sin. But Lord, we rejoice that the wrath that we were due, the wrath that the Christian was due, was satisfied in Christ Jesus. That's a glorious thing. So Lord, may we live in joy and in light of that. Lord, we know that your word does its work in our hearts and minds. So we pray today that you would do your work as only you can. You're faithful to do that. And we ask that you be faithful to continue to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.